third Development Hell podcast. I'm Chris Harchis, and over on the other side is Ed. Say hi to the internet, Ed. Hello, everybody. So, Ed, we're back after the Christmas break. Uh, I managed to take almost a week and a half off and just kind of chill from not having to do work. But I was doing uh, a side project, which we'll get into uh, in a little bit. What about uh, your end? Did Fictive Kin shut things down a little bit during the holidays? Yeah, we took a couple days off, like, uh, you know, because Christmas and New Year's both fell on weekends. So, um, uh, so they, uh, we took the days, like, off before and after that weekend. So, it, uh, so yeah, we had some time off, and it was, it was kind of slower, you know, um, but we still worked three days between, so... Yeah, we, I mean, we put time in, but it wasn't, you know, like crazy startup time where you have, you know, like can't see your kid for five weeks or stuff like that. Um, yeah, it was pretty tame. You know, we just sat around, basically, my wife and I, and did nothing for about a week. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> did yeah. nothing, and that was cool. Yeah, yeah it was. It was nice. So I, right. I understand that. All right, so we have uh, we have, as the kids like to say, an action-packed show, oh, yeah. and uh, so we're going to start off a bit with uh, talking about something that I've been promoting uh, quite heavily on the Twitters. Uh, it's that I have uh, I have a book coming out next week. So I wrote a book about two and a half, almost three years ago on how to take uh, a legacy PHP application and refactor it using Cake PHP. And that book did okay. It paid like my property taxes for an entire year. Right. So uh, that's that's not a bad number. Yeah, in so, Canada, that's like 90% of your salary. <laughs> oh, oh, come on now. Yeah, that's not nice. Um, it's our salaries combined. So, <laughs> right. um, so back at the beginning of the November uh, National uh, Write a Novel Month, I decided, you know what, let's see if I can crank out another book. And so I started pounding away on this at the beginning of November, and uh, I'm f- I finally just today uh, finished what I believe is like the first first draft where I've been – how can I put this? The first draft where I've generated an actual PDF of it where everything kind of looks okay. Oh, right. Yeah. So the topic of this one is how to build testable applications uh, in PHP. And so uh, I'll get a bit. I'll get a little bit into on actually how I put this book together, and um, with some shout-outs to some uh, people who are helpful. So I, originally, I did it all in text using this thing called ASCII Doc. Have you ever heard of it, Ed? Yeah. Uh huh. I I actually had looked at that a little bit when I was considering a book before I realized that I in no way have the discipline necessary to do that. <laughs> so initially, I did it in ASCII doc because it seemed like ASCII, there were uh, some tool chains available that seemed to say ASCII doc is a good place to start because ASCII doc can be easily converted into another format which is called DocBook, right. and DocBook is a really uh, super powerful XML-based uh, system where your whole book is represented X- as XML, and you have really a ton of control over how you want things to be done, where they're going to be laid out, uh, fonts, all of the other stuff. So in that sense, it was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And so I had originally done the first like go-through of the book uh, using ASCII doc, and I uh, found a tool chain where I basically wrote a make file and I would do make book, and it would crank out the whole book for me, take my ASCII doc, convert it to doc book, and then with some uh, open source tools, convert that 
into a PDF. So I sent a PDF around to some technical reviewers, and they and they've sent their comments back. Right. So when the, so I started thinking about okay, now that the stuff's out with the technical reviewers, what's the next thing I'm gonna do? I have to figure out how I'm going to get people to give me money in exchange for this book. Yep. When I, so when I did my first book, initially I wrote uh, a page for it myself, fucked around with the PayPal stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you could click on PayPal and go there, enter your stuff, and come back, and they get a one-time link where they can download the book, um, and it was all good. But this time I said, you know what? I don't want to do that again, and to be honest, I had lost the code that I had used to do that because because right. about halfway through the book part, or the first book, I hooked up with a guy who's one of the coordinators for CodeMash, which is a conference I'm speaking at next week yeah. in, lovely, in lovely Sandusky, Ohio, Ooh. in January, in winter. Uh, that sounds horrible. At a, but it's at an awesome resort that has this humongous water park indoors. Wait, is it is it in Great Wolf Lodge? No, it's not Great Wolf Lodge, but that's just down oh, okay. the street. This is the Kalahari uh, Resort. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I've been to one of the Great Wolf Lodges in Ohio, so I'm not sure right. if it's the same one. But go ahead, yeah. If it's if it's near Cedar Point, then it's that's the one you're thinking about. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so anyway, Jason Gilmore is one of the organizers. And a couple of years ago when I wanted to speak at at code mash and didn't get in. Uh, he was like, Oh, Hey, I've seen that you written a book. So anyway, he has a website where he publishes a whole bunch of his own books. So I handed over, uh, all that stuff to deal with selling it and marketing it for me to him. Right. And then he would just take care of, of, of remitting money to me every month. So this time I'm like, you know what? I want to promote this thing myself. And then I discovered, uh, lean pub, yeah. which is, uh, kind of booking, uh, booking. God, I can't even talk. Which is representing itself as the new way, the new lean way to do publishing. And their system they have is ingenious. Yeah. You sign up with them. You need a Dropbox account. You uh, hook th- hook up a shared folder between the two of you. Mm-hmm. They dump a template of stuff to do a book. And basically, you take a book. You have a, a file that has a certain name. You put in all the chapter, all of these files that contain the chapters for your book. You do your stuff in Markdown. Then you go to their website. You say, hey, uh-huh. generate a preview or or publish the actual book for me. Then they go in the background and grab the stuff out of your shared folder, and they turn it into a book for you. So it's, it's magic. It's, well, it is magic, but I believe it's – I don't know what it's done with in the background. I would love to know what technology they're using. Of course, since they're lean startup hipsters, I would guess Rails. And if not Rails, probably some uh, weird-ass Erlang thing going on in the background. It's probably something you haven't heard of. Yeah, yeah. It's all done done in JavaScript with Node, something like that. But right. um, so yeah, so they generate a PDF and a EPUB and a Mobi for the Kindle people, and then that's it. And then they collect the money for you. They take a a ten percent royalty plus a fat a flat fee. Right. So I'll be able to hold on to a ridiculous amount of money once again uh, for publishing my own book. And I will say this, Ed, because because uh, maybe you weren't aware of this, but please do say. I, it. I was shocked to find out that I made more money doing my own book and publishing it myself than several other people that you personally know who have written books for very large and established pub- um, um, publishers. Oh, I was it's, yeah. I was floored. To, I was like, really? When some of them told me how much they got paid to do their book, I was like, are you kidding me? Really? I'm like, I sold far less copies, like, you know, like exponentially less copies than you did and yeah. ended up with way more money in my pocket. So yeah, it's a total scam. So uh, I love Marco to be Marco publishes good books. I love mm-hmm. you, Marco. Don't don't uh, don't rag on me about this. Um, 
but yeah, so the lean pub thing, it looks like it's going to work out for me because my blog is already in Markdown. So I'm kind of used to doing things in Markdown. Right. And it, and it took me a couple hours to convert everything in ASCII doc uh, with some search and replace uh, to convert it to the format that uh, um, that they wanted for the blog. And, and now my, my, uh, my book has nice chapters. Um, I found somebody on Elance. Uh, for 125 bucks is going to do my cover for me for my right, book, right? Uh, and it's an established uh, illustrator with an awesome uh, portfolio of stuff. So I'm going to get a really high quality cover. Now, and, what about my idea for the cover <laughs> of the of the chain smoking monkey? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I like that, but unfortunately, there's nothing that says grumpy and programmer in that uh, uh, image. I really kind of thought it did say that. But, uh, maybe, maybe when I do a, I'm, maybe if I do uh, the grumpy programmer's guide to Node, I'll uh, yeah, I'll, I'll have a monkey with a cigarette on the front just to show how cognitively weird uh, Node is for the average PHP programmer. Yes, that would be great. Yeah. So the book's going to be. Uh, made available for sale on the 13th of January with the idea being that right after my talk, because I'm giving a talk on this exact same topic. See how, see how devious I am, Ed? I write a book, yep. and then I use the book to give me an outline for my presentation. It's all coming together. That's right. So I'll be making that. <laughs> it'll be out as soon as uh, it'll be. Probably I'll make it available just before I do the talk. I'll just hit the publish button. And oh, yeah. And another good thing I liked about the Lean Pub idea is that they create like a landing page for your book okay and when you haven't published it yet it has a form up that you can set up a description and then it can ask people if you're interested in in uh buying the book you can put in your name email address and you saw this because you put in a ridiculous price that you'd be willing to pay for the book so i can see the names of all the people who said they're interested in buying my book and they do some math to all those values and give you suggested recommended prices for your book. Oh, that's interesting. Based on what other people have said that they're willing to pay. So um, I, can, I can reveal this on the podcast. The book's going to be 15 bucks, and it's about 50, between 50 and 52 pages of material, depending on how much extra stuff that I add to it. Because I have a few more sections I need to flesh out uh, based on responses from the technical reviewers. So, so you, you essentially wrote a pamphlet, is what you're saying. Yeah, that's that's right. A pamphlet that people are going to pay to get a copy of. Right. A Jack Chick tract of, uh, <laughs> of, of <laughs> unit testing. Okay. Now, there, now, there's a book that would be awesome. That a, would a actually... Te- yeah. a, te- a technical book with Jack Chick <laughs> illustrations. <laughs> I would buy that. I would Kickstarter that. Oh yeah, well then maybe that's a Kickstarter project we should oh, be a good try idea. to find. I need ten thousand dollars to convince a crazy artist to write Jack <laughs> Jack Chick illustrations for a technical yeah. book. <laughs> that would be really awesome. So, um and so, you know, you mentioned that you thought you could never write a book because of um uh discipline issues. Um well, shit, about- I didn't know you could write a book and it was fifty pages. I could probably do that. See now you're being insulting. On yeah. That. Well, yes, that's kind of part of the shtick <laughs> we have, isn't it? I mean, yeah. No, it is. Um, yeah. I mean, what's what's wrong with a 50-page book that's there's, uh, there's that's that, highly that's highly targeted? And there's not, absolutely nothing not wrong with it. Out, not fluffed out with a lots of uh, uh, excess material designed just to increase the page count. Right. Well, I, look, I look at it this way: mm-hmm. it's 15 bucks. It's 50 pages. You don't want to buy it? Don't. But people are going to buy it, and I'm hoping to use the money to buy myself an iPad, and I'll and I'll engrave uh, 
uh, engraved thanks suckers on the back of that thing when you I get should. it. So, <laughs> like, I'm looking at, uh, you know, I have some technical books here over on the bookshelf, and most of them are relatively small. Like, and it seems like the newer ones are smaller. The only one that's not, like, that's relatively new is actually a new edition of JavaScript, the Definitive Guide, and that book is enormous. Yeah, that's like the, that's the type of book you use to, like, kill an intruder by hitting right. them in the, with it, right? But one time I won, I think it was at, at last year's um, Open Source Bridge conference in Portland, I won a copy of this um, MongoDB book from O'Reilly, and it's like 30 pages. It's kind of weird because I literally picked it up. And I'm like, this. There's like nothing to this. You know what I mean? And it was kind of expensive. Like I looked on the back, it, you know, and I assume that part of it is that a company like O'Reilly probably has sort of a fixed, like, floor. They have to charge this to even make it worth it to publish something, right? Probably. I mean, and, they do have their own costs. They're trying to recoup. Right. And you're probably right. Every book that they publish, you're probably right. There is a fixed amount that they have to charge just to uh, just to make all their uh, just to make their money back on it. You know. But I actually, I found the book. It's right over here. Let's see. Um, yeah, it's MongoDB developer. Excuse me. Um, Fifty tips and tricks for MongoDB developers. Right. And it is fifty-two pages. Including illustrations. And See, my is, book doesn't have any illustrations. Right. And it is $28 US. Right. So, uh, you know, I wanted no. to make sure that I wanted to make sure that I, my book was going to be um, at least uh, $1 for two pages. I figured that would right. If I go below, if I go bo- below that, then uh, I think I'm asking, uh, asking for trouble. And people will say, why, why am I paying this amount for a book this small? So, right. Now, um, I think it's probably worth. It's actually written by Christina Chadro, who is yeah. I can never pronounce her last name either. But But but, she uh, she certainly knows what she's talking about. So it's probably worth twenty eight dollars to somebody who's actually using MongoDB. But it is kind of you're just looking at. Boy, this is thin. Like it seems like this is exactly what should have been just published as an ebook only or something like that. You know, that could very well. And then you could sell for ten bucks, and you'd probably sell a bunch more because I just can't. like it's so thin, there's actually no printing on the spine. Wow, I mean that is that is a pamphlet. Yeah, it really is. So, anyway, I'm actually really interested in your book because I, um, you know, I've done some like writing tests for some things, but it's like I've never gotten to that point where it's always been really piecemeal. Like I can write tests for a library, but actually understanding like where I how I would do it for an entire application, I don't really understand. It's like I just kind of don't know exactly how to do it. And I always get the feeling that it's one of these things that I'm supposed to know, but nobody really explains it to you. Like, it's like you write a few tests, and then suddenly, magically, it's like you go from, here's how to get started, to somehow now I'm supposed to write like uh, some kind of big thing and have continuous integration set up and all this stuff. Yeah, like, what I wanted to do with this book was that I really found that there are tons of books and blog uh, postings on on how to write tests to say okay you want to use PHP unit here's how you write a test if you wanted to use uh, behat for do, doing uh, behavioral driven development here's how you do it so what I really found lacking was information on how how do you make 
stuff that you can test because it's really flipping it's on its head. I mean, anybody can go and look and say, here's how you write a unit test because that's not really that hard. And a concept of, of a unit test is not a difficult one to understand. Right. What I found was lacking on, okay, you have a module. How are you going to write this thing in such a way that you can easily test? Because everyone's worked at a place that has some big, hairy, nasty legacy application. And how, being able to wrap tests around it is often like a really difficult task. Mm-hmm. And often people are afraid to push to be given resources and time to make it happen. So I thought I could concentrate and say, look, if you want to be able to write stuff that you can test, here are some, here's a few strategies on, um, on what to do. Uh, things you need to think about when you're building your application so that you have code that you can actually test. Because, you know, I looked at it and it's like you got to be able to pass things in. We talk about dependency injection. I talk about concepts on small discrete modules of code that learn how to, that, that know how to talk to each other with this idea that the best applications are really small little modules of code that when combined allow you to do some really fantastical things because you've, you've worked very hard to keep everything simple. So I'll be sure to send a copy your way once uh, once I get it all done, once I get the cover and, and the final tweaks. And I also did a very smart thing as well. There's a companion application for the book in that most of the code examples from the book are in this application as well. So people will be able to see where I, I took a very small application that actually has some has a decent amount of interaction between different modules and showed people that if you want to create a testable application, here's one way of doing it so you can see how all these things have to talk to each other and how everything that I talked about in the book, how it all comes together in the actual application. And that's up on GitHub. So when the book comes out, there's a, there, in the opening section, there's a link to where you can go see it. And I expect people to check it out and fork it. And maybe there'll be some sarcastic people who send pull requests to change things and, uh, and stuff like that. But I'm excited that I got this thing done. I feel relieved that I got it done, mainly now because then I can actually write the fucking presentation that goes with the book. Right, right, so, right. Yeah, because I, because man, I hate doing my presentations at the last minute. So this has me pretty nervous, even though it's it's like a week away. I want I want to make sure I have the presentation done before I even head out to uh, Ohio when I drive from the snowy wilds of Canada across the border into tropical uh, upper uh, upper New York State. <laughs> New York State. Oh yeah. No, it's still yeah, cold there, though, bu- you know. Yeah, go through Buffalo and then just along the bottom of Lake Erie to get to uh, to get to Sandusky. You're going to drive into Lake Erie? Oh, yeah. All Canadian cars are amphibious. That's what I thought. There's a... <laughs> there's some, that's, where our ta- that's where our taxes are so high. There's some... I think it's the Wisconsin Dells. It's like a sort of a getaway, like, family park. Yeah, that's where the... Yeah, that's where that where they built that first water park. That the, so the same people who own the Kalahari, they own the thing in Wisconsin. Dells oh, is that well. right? They've yeah, got I some kind of like boat car there. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> but yeah, so the book's coming out, and uh, watch my Twitter feed and my blog for it. And um, uh, those who attend, who actually attend my talk, I'm going to be handing out discount codes to them so they can buy it for ten bucks instead of fifteen. So, oh, that's give, cool. Yeah. Give them an incentive to come out and uh, and listen to me talk. And for those who haven't been to CodeMash, Ed, I would love it if you could find a way to come next year. Uh, this thing is huge. 1,300 attendees this year. 
and right. tickets for this conference sold out in half an hour. I uh, I think I uh, proposed a talk once and they rejected me, so I refused to ever <laughs> even consider well, it. There, out of all the talks there, there's only two PHP talks. One is me, and one is some other guy I have never heard of. So. Yeah, I, th- I think if I remember, they have a lot of like a lot of .NET focus. If I think it, this year, it's a lot of .NET, Ruby, Python. Um, there's so, a lot of iPhone stuff this year. So like so, real languages is what you're talking about. Real languages, Ed. Right. Come on, we all know they're all fake compared to PHP. Of course. Yeah. Um, so what I don't see though is JavaScript stuff. So That's I think that there is an opportunity for you to get in there as uh, as a uh, self-proclaimed JavaScript expert. You could get in there pretty. I good. really don't rate in the JavaScript community, my friend. Trust hey man, me. I don't. I, I used to not think I rate in the PHP community either, but people keep asking me to talk now. So I guess something happened. And plus, yeah. you would get to see Liz Naramore because she always goes. Yes, which would be very cool. So uh, yeah. That would be nice. Yeah, I, she's actually talked that, that conference up. So I, I would like to. That would be cool. And, um, I mean, I just hate doing it in the winter. It is which tit cold outside. Well, last, last year when I went, we drove down during a blizzard, and I refused to turn around about two hours under the drive with my wife and kids yelling at me that we needed to stop and oh stay at a hotel. God. And I was like, there's no way. I don't want to lose this reservation because we have this. We got this awesome, awesome suite. When we right. were there, right. and I'm like, I'm not losing this thing just because of uh, uh, just because of a blizzard. I'm like, we're goddamn Canadians. We can drive in snow. Let's right. go. Right. So, so it took what so it took what should have been a four hour drive and turned it into a seven hour drive. Nice. And I and I learned that just outside of Detroit that they don't plow the interstate. So that was a fun experience driving oh. on I-75 with a completely covered with snow, and you couldn't tell where any of the lanes were. I I completely covered. I've actually driven like that, and it's what the the thing you find is that you realize, like, when you finally get out of the car, that your back has been like clenched, like all the muscles in your back have been clenched for like two hours. Yeah. So you can't. Not me, man. Yeah. Not me, man. I love that shit. I love that shit. I didn't stress at all. Nice. So, well, supreme overconfidence in my driving skills. I that's guess that's pretty good. No, I I I've driven through that kind of thing, and I just was like. You know, you're driving like 30 miles an hour on the highway because you can't see any of the lanes or like where the shoulders are and stuff like that. You're just hoping you're going to the right direction and not going into a ditch. Yeah, my my concern when we were doing that drive was just I was not worried about me so much, but worried about one of the other morons on the highway spinning out and slamming into me. That was my uh, that was my concern. There's always some asshole who's yeah yeah. doing that. Some asshole with uh, Indiana plates. Yes, yeah, that was me. Uh, So on to uh, our next topic. So oh, yeah, yes, check yes. out my book when it comes out. Please buy it. Uh, I'd like to pay my property taxes and buy an iPad this year. So uh, so as you are wont to do once in a while, you cause an utter shitstorm on the internet with your yeah. post of the micro PHP manifesto. So why don't you talk a little bit uh, about what caused you to do this? Because I know we've talked about this topic uh, both on the podcast and on outside of the podcast on instant messenger on Twitter and stuff. So why don't you talk a bit, um, talk a bit about, about, about the manifesto and why you did it. And then we can start discussing your feelings about having done this. And then I can pound the shit out of you about the stuff that I disagree about the manifesto. Right. I'm hoping for that. Um, So I will say that, for like I don't know uh, a couple yeah, it's probably been a couple of years now 
Um, I don't know, maybe a year. I man, I just felt like I was really getting burned out on PHP, and I was and I I was really struggling. I felt like the stuff that I was sort of interested in the stuff I wanted to work on wasn't necessarily the stuff that other people wanted to work on or, or, or where I, I don't know. How much should I say, you know, I said it in this post that I made, I, I think I called it the PHP zeitgeist, you know, um, where's sort of the culture going, the, you know, the general kind of, uh, you know, way history seems to be moving. And I felt like it was moving in, a direct in directions that I didn't, I wasn't really into. Um, it seemed like, um, my feelings, you know, it seemed like stuff was getting sort of more and more abstract. It was, it was sort of structuring things in ways that I didn't find necessarily intuitive, or maybe I could, you know, figure them out. Like I could work on a code base that used it, but I never really enjoyed it, or I never got to a point where it's like, oh, I get what's, you know. And I got to a point where I felt like I maybe had some level of mastery where it was like I was actually just building stuff instead of just trying to figure out how the crap all fit together. And it was kind of, it kind of came from a couple different projects back to back where I felt like I was, I was coming in and there was an existing code base and it was built on some kind of pretty full stack framework. And either I kept kind of running into stuff where I was like, I just, I don't understand why it's set up like this. And it seems like it. I have to do like seven or eight different steps to, you know, to make something happen because there's all these levels of abstraction in the, in it, or, you know, stuff like that. I was, it was really kind of just disillusioned with stuff. And I'd been thinking more and more about, um, how I, when I, you know, uh, had worked with, done some node programming, how I enjoyed that more because I felt like it was, I just had, I could grab, I had a, a real sort of a base uh, uh, foundation with Node that provided certain functionality for HTTP. And then I could bring in, and, and doing a few other things, and then I could bring in a couple modules that were designed specifically to, to handle certain kinds of tasks, like, I don't know, uh, like I wrote, wrote a thing to do, um, you know, or I use some kind of tool to that that, that does uh, JavaScript minification. And I could write a little utility that would minify files for you and stuff like that. You know, junk like that. Or it was something that would just uh, grab feeds and parse stuff out, or you know, I'll, or run a bunch of uh, functional tests against HTTP API or something like that. So, and I really liked that it was like I had this real lightweight foundation, and I could just pull in a couple libraries that I needed from npm and build something and it worked and it I just I've really found that process enjoyable that, that approach yeah I mean like we've talked about this and I think we talked about this in the first yeah, podcast a right. little bit as right. well so so you you sh- before you publish the manifesto you very graciously uh, uh, you know let me take a look at it right. and I have to say that I'm kind of in a, a unique position in that I can appreciate the desire for the simplicity, and I understand that, and that I do feel that um, it's not the it's not that the language is getting more complicated because really 
new stuff in PHP moves pretty slow. I mean, the the really the last significant addition in terms of like programming paradigms that they've done is when they added closures, anonymous functions, right? So that you know that call, so you could start doing that sort of callback style programming that's very prevalent in JavaScript. You could start doing similar things in PHP. Right. But what? But like you said on that post, there's a lot of really smart people building stuff in PHP and they're pouring tons of effort into it and it just feels like they're the abstraction level is going way up in stuff that's being written in PHP so that's causing a problem for those who maybe don't have uh, don't have a, a really good computer science background and don't understand a lot of the issues on when to use interfaces and abstract classes and extending things and how it fits in with namespaces and I want to use this and my code has to implement this and, and, and that. And so it's almost like you now have a subset of, of, of code where you're starting to use frameworks and a lot of them are starting to turn into a black box for the average developer. And, and of course, I think that over time, the, the actual skill level of the average developer in any given language goes up. As the language becomes more mature and as um, examples on how to do things become uh, not more mature but more prevalent, it, it's easy to see how your average skill gets pushed up. Yeah. So, so I can understand you want... Uh, simplicity. You want to be able to write small modules of code, which kind of ties into ability to test things. Uh, you want to be able to understand stuff. You don't want to. You don't want to feel like you're dragging around a lot of uh, excess code. But I, I think you've missed a point in your manifesto, and and this is the part that I that I want to discuss with you. So we the reason the part of where I talk about my manifesto. Well, okay, so then, yeah, then I'll let you go on. You, you, I'm sure you have it on. Uh, tattooed on your arm by now. Yeah, I would imagine. Jeez. So, so, so roll up the sleeve, right, uh, right. and between the the skull and crossbones and the koi fish you have on the arm yeah, there, exactly. I'm, I'm sure you've got yeah. the. So, so go over the manifesto. Well, so what I, so I to give a little more background, I was kind of feeling that way, but I, we had an opportunity at Fictive Kin to start doing some work where we were starting really from a scratch code base, and so. Um, instead of using stuff we had uh, been using before, we uh, sort of evaluated a couple different things, and I was checking some stuff out, and I, uh, I ended up using as a, as a base framework. We ended up using because we really wanted a much more lightweight PHP layer. One, we you know we had run into a lot of issues where we had this, we had a bunch of, it just really kind of got out of hand where we had. PHP handling a lot of um, UI stuff, but we were also wanted to have really rich um, front-end stuff. So we were basically had JavaScript and PHP intermingled in um, both handling view stuff, and it was really mishmash about like w like how these concerns were well were not separated. Right? Um, you didn't have it sort of separated out so that okay. You know, the front-end stuff handles the front-end, and then, like, the, the moving around of UI components and stuff like that. There was a lot of stuff where PHP was, like, generating code, prepping stuff, and it, it, it was a big, fat mishmash of, like, hey, we want to make a rich application, but we were kind of used to doing it, um, a lot of that stuff in PHP. And it ended up being really 
uh, hard, hard to manage. And so we had a chance where we were working on a new project and they said, okay, well, let's kind of start this from scratch. And we really made a decision that we really wanted a lightweight PHP layer that really all it does is, um, uh, it's kind of, I guess you'd say kind of a middleware layer, uh, where it's, it's sitting in there, it handles, um, it basically proxies API calls um, through the PHP and also handles things like CSERF and stuff like that, session management, junk like that. But all that stuff ends up actually going back to an HTTP API that's behind the scenes. And that's where all of our model stuff and things like that is basically an HTTP layer on top of like MongoDB and then some model code for that. And then, so, and then we end up using, um, backbone and a couple other you know related things in javascript to basically to make the the rich front end and so we really wanted you know after going through this all this stuff where we had this big you know gobbledygook uh php code base we said we really need to strip this stuff out and start from scratch and try to you know why are we making this so complex where we had things where it was like basically we had a it's like you have to line up four or five different things to like make a query from, uh, like from the browser to pull stuff out of the API. Like we'd have to be like, okay, we got to write a controller thing for. This is in the gobbledygook thing. It was like, oh, we had to write something for uh, a controller method to handle the AJAX call, and then the AJAX call handles a, you know, uses a um, a, a PHP client library for our API. Then uses this convenience method, and then that convenience method. We have, so we have to write that convenience method too, and then we have to make a call back to uh, the HTTP API in the back end, and that that had some stuff where we had to write like an action handler for that, and then we had to write stuff for the actual model stuff back there, and we ended up with like four or five different layers we had to do. So like every time we wanted to add one thing, where it was like, hey, we wanted to add a new HTTP call so we could access that stuff from the browser. It's like we had to do this dance where you have to line up like six things to make them all work. And it kind of felt like like I had to build all this cr- like freaking scaffolding, you know, when I was like, look, almost all these calls are the same. Why are we building this stuff over and over and like building out this, you know, sort of like complex but very rigid um, uh, sort of, you know, interconnected network of junk. Um, so we really stripped that out. And we picked up uh, a what the, what he calls a micro framework called Slim, and so Slim really just comes out of the box. It just comes with like HTTP request response handling and session management, um, some a couple plugin things for like helping for rendering out um, views, but it doesn't come with like a template, you know, database or, or a template library or anything. You, it, there's a couple like add-ons you can get for that, but. The idea is that really it's just glue that gets it to work with, you know, you can, you plug in your own thing, like you can use Twig or you can use Mustache or things like that. We end up using Mustache for this. Um, so what I found was that, um, you know, so Slim doesn't do things like it doesn't even define necessarily, and I know this, people freak out about this, it doesn't even define like necessarily that you have to use a model view controller layer. It doesn't, it doesn't enforce some kind of idea that you have to have models. It doesn't enforce an idea that you have to have a controller class that does certain things. Um, all it really does is you, it has things where you define routes and then uh, based on that, if it matches that route, it just calls the code that you do in there. And 
And it, so it really looks like, you know, kind of a standard callback style. So you'll say, okay, define this route and it matches this, you know, regex or whatever, this pattern. And then you pass it as a second argument, um, like basically the handler for it or a callback that you would, that gets, you know, called when it matches that route. Now, one of the things is that, um, what I found is that I really, really enjoyed working on this more because I felt like there was a, a whole bunch of stuff I didn't have to spend time figuring out how, like how this framework worked. I didn't have this big um, learning curve to go through to figure this stuff out. Um, there was a small set of components. How they worked was was fairly straightforward. I was able to pick up how it worked, you know, and and get things working within like I don't know thirty minutes probably, and I was able to go from there and actually start building the application. And I found that I was able to build um, something much faster, and it was much more enjoyable without as much sort of like crusty code that I felt like laying out. One of the big things is I felt like I wasn't spending a bunch of time building out abstractions of stuff and i'm using abstractions in an abstract sense i'm i'm not not i don't mean like a <laughs> like an o abstractions right an abstract right sense. i don't mean like a, an op abstract or you know interfaces or things like that i mean this idea where it's like let me put it this way i guess I, what i'm getting at is is may, i'll describe this and maybe it'll make more sense do you ever see have you noticed how common it seems to be getting where a lot of PHP stuff. I especially see this a lot in Symphony, but I see it in the Symphony component stuff. Um, I see it in, I think it's in a lot of Zen framework stuff too. I see this over and over where they have, they define, I guess, some exceptions because they feel like they have to define specific exceptions for um, their component. So they define like an exception that's okay fires this off it, it, you know that 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 gets thrown in this case and uh, an exception that gets thrown in this case an exception that gets thrown in this case and because everybody's decided that well we're supposed to follow this PSRO standard or whatever that has to do with how you're supposed to map directories to namespaces and junk like that what you end up with is, or, or or directories and classes class files to namespaces what you end up with is they've got like they'll define like five or six or seven exceptions for just just for their component, right? Just for you know a, a small library, really, or or set of files that are supposed to make up a library. Um, and but it'll be nested like three le three directories levels deep, and each exception will be in its own class, and the exception is just a class definition without anything in it. It's just like class blah blah exception extends exception. And that's it. And they put that's, them all. They put them that's, all. That's bullshit. I don't understand. Why Dude, I see it all either. the time. If you want, I could bring it up for you right now. I, you know, when I people were talking about, you know, when I was kind of going before I, I wrote this, I've been thinking about this, what you know, this simplifying stuff for a while. And I looked at, you know, a lot of people were like, well, you should look. At, you know, we had that conversation about like requested response stuff should be built into PHP, and I still believe that. I think the fact that every single person writes their own indicates that clearly everybody thinks that should just be part of their application, so it should just be built into it, right? Anyway, the point is, I, you know, a lot of people kept saying, well, hey, take a look at, like, the HTTP kernel component, or take a look at this thing, or that thing, or whatever, and I would see how these things are broken out, and it's like, all these little individual files with, like, just 
not all of them are like this, but it's I see it's it like it's turned into this like giant these these applications which you know and these components t- turn into these like big complex sets of nested directories and files and stuff like that. And a lot of the times it feels like the kind of, you know what, people are always, there's that, that shirt that says, it's a, a PHP program shirt that says, life is too short for Java. Well, motherfucker, when I start seeing this, I start thinking about Java and how you're supposed to define out all these, all this like, um, basic, I, I use the word scaffolding, it's probably the wrong word because it implies something else for people. But it's like you have to build up all this architecture to put all your crap in the right place because that's how it's defined, how the spec says. And you're supposed to have, you know, for each space you have in the name of your thing, you're supposed to put it, you know, in a new directory until it gets down to the file. And then because it's a different class, it absolutely has to be in a different file. So because the exceptions are all separate classes, they put them all in their own different files. But they're just fucking... They're they're extensions just for the uh, they just extend the base exception. The only thing they're changing is the name. But I see this over and over and over, and I cannot understand why we're doing this. I don't. I, I don't. I. I look. Maybe there's a maybe there's a good reason. For, <laughs> well, you're getting wound up, Ed. Yeah. Maybe there's a good reason for this that other people who have different have worked in different kinds of architectures that I haven't worked in, who have different kinds of needs that I have have and it works for them and that there's i'm sure there's there was a lot of thought that went into this i look at that and all i think is now i've got a bunch more files i need to worry about and i've got more shit i have to deal with in my code base and the thing just gets bigger and bigger and i I just don't i I don't if you if yeah it feels like it gets out of hand well it is getting out of hand but but here's the part where I can kind of interject and get you to yeah, calm sure. down for a minute. Right. So, oh so what this I feel yeah. that this trend that you've exactly described is it's the intersection of two events, really in my mind. Mm-hmm. It's the intersection of a standard for auto loading that you put everything in the file system in a certain way, yes. and then you can all say the PSR zero stuff, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So that you can so that you can write a PSR zero auto loader and the, it will be able to find. Not just your components, but other people's components if they followed the same structure. Right. So, so that's so that's a spec, and then you throw into that on top of it, you have this idea that, and I think every framework is guilty of this. Mm-hmm. Maybe not the micro ones, but any framework that has components that go with it, mm-hmm. people are worried about missing out on a use case. They are right. most framework designers are humongous <laughs> believers in that. I'm building this because somebody somewhere might need this. Right. So this is why you have this situation, which you talked about, or perhaps you have four different types of exceptions right. for a small component. So this is the problem. You have a standard, which is good, and a spec, which is good, that says if you follow these rules, then your components should be able to be easily integrated into somebody else's code. But then you have people that have taken that and said, okay, now when you look at this, now you have this other idea that I need to have five different types of exceptions or whatever whatever sort of over-engineered response that you have right. that you say, now, for these to fit in with this spec, I have to do things in a certain way. So it looks a lot worse than it really is. And I understand not wanting to have humongous nested directories and all that stuff. But really, this is about the intersection of people trying to anticipate what's going to happen combined with a spec that says, 
to, to provide better interoperability in terms of being able to incorporate third-party components into your right. application. You have to do it this way. Uh, dude, I'm totally with you on this. So, yeah. so, so now that you've been ranting and raving about this, why don't you actually talk about the manifesto okay. itself, what it consists of, so, what you said in the manifesto. For what – you know, uh, yeah. So what I – again, what I found is that I felt like you could – you know, still be productive and write good code and write strong code, even within a team, not just as like a lone wolf developer and stuff like that. I've been that. And I think it's very different when you work with a team. Um, you could do that and not have to do um, as much of that. What I think often ends up being busy work. Um, and as much of that sort of extreme level of structure, um, that you end up with and, and the and and yeah so i wrote down a few sort of things that uh, i've been thinking about that sort of made up this manifesto and i these are sort of principles that i decided these were the important things that are, are you're trying to you know i'm trying to articulate and the first thing says is that i'm a php developer and it says i'm not a zen framework or symphony or cake php or whatever framework you want to be developer Specifically getting into, I don't like the fact that a lot of these really major full stack frameworks involve, I have to spend so much time learning them when I feel like a lot of times, for me, it, it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't really provide a great benefit for me, as opposed to what I think simpler tools that I can be productive with now. Um, and as an, you know, go along with that, I say, uh, I think PHP is complicated enough. And I do think it's complicated enough. There is a ton of shit you have to know to really know PHP in and out. There's lots of little details and shit like that. Um, and I don't... I'm not a big fan of... Maybe I just hit a, hit a... I may have just hit a point with PHP where I'm like, screw this, I don't want to read any more books. I don't know. Maybe that's it. And I'm just like, I don't want to have spend you know several weeks learning and and you know have to take certification exams and shit like that. You know, dude, I do not want to do that anymore. Just let me give me some, give me a few, you know, a, a hammer and a screwdriver and a saw, and I will build the shit, right? And I, another thing I says, I like building small things. I like building small things with simple purposes. I like to make things that solve problems. And I like building small things that work together to solve larger problems. For us, that's this is something I've picked up more and more effective can where we've really tried to break apart our application into disparate layers that speak to each other over HTTP and there's advantages and disadvantages to that but we've really tried to do that and I think it's actually it's advantageous from the standpoint of us being a, of I think it makes the application more manageable when you break them apart like that into modules that speak a, a same basic language together that way we can sort of separate those concerns out where um, we don't try to have, say, this PHP uh, layer, which really handles sort of uh, session management, uh, basic, you know, transport between, say, the the backend model and, and database layer and stuff like that. That doesn't need to worry about, like, that shouldn't be worried about necessarily view structure. We're at a point where browsers are smart enough and powerful enough that we can offload ba most, if not all, of that work off to the browser. So there's no point in trying... I, I, I shouldn't say there's no point. We don't need to make a complex PHP layer that does everything for you. Um, we, break, you know, we broke apart 
um, the da- really the the data level and the that sort of middleware level and that front end level into really when you think about separate um, applications in and of themselves, and they just talk to each other uh, via HTTP. So I have I think we found that advantageous in doing that. Um, I think because I think it it makes everything more manageable when you do that. Um, so that has been that's an approach that I've I've found effective and good for us. The third thing I say is I want less code, not more. And I want to write less code, and I want to manage less code. I want to support less code, and I need to justify every piece of code that I add to the project. And what I'm really saying there is that I think that, and this is something that Sean uh, Coates really kind of ha- hammered on a lot, and I uh, probably because he just hammered on me a lot, I agree with him more about it. But I, I think he's right. When we, if we choose to uh, take a piece of code, there's a certain you sort of are in a sense kind of signing a contract there in that um, if it's not code you wrote, you're going to need to be aware of keeping that code up to date or understanding that code or maintaining it yourself, forking it off or whatever, that what have you. As that piece of code becomes larger and more complex, whether it be just it's the sheer number of lines of code, how many files it is, what have you, that can get more daunting. Um, so it involves things like, well, are you know, maybe I got to start signing up for a mailing list so I make sure to get up to date you know, information about it. What if there's security fixes on it? What if this security fix came in a something that was also breaks backwards compatibility? Um, this and that. I, I, I mean, a good example of that not in PHP, actually some of the PHP stuff tends to be better about that. Um, but um, like if you try developing applications in Node right now, I think I might have mentioned this before, maybe in the last podcast, uh, if you use a bunch of NPM libraries, like you upgrade from, you know, node 0.4 to 0.6, a bunch of your libraries aren't going to work anymore. Or, you know, when they upgrade to fix some stuff uh, or to add some new features, they'll just be like, well, we just don't support your version of node anymore. You know, we've moved on to 0.6. So if you want to get these fixes, you're going to have to. The point is that it's right there. It's really wild west. And you basically have to be prepared to maintain any code you pull in, you're going to be responsible for maintaining that code yourself. Um, you know, I think in PHP it tends to be a little bit better, but there's a you know there's a, there's a commitment that you're making when you're pulling in code. So I would much rather pull in the small like if it's if I didn't write it myself, I want to try to pull in the smallest piece of code possible that accomplishes what I need it to accomplish. Because I want the smallest amount of you know uh, commitment possible, I think you you incur technical debt from all of the dependencies that you introduce. So I had a conversation where I was talking, I was asking a guy who does that packages.org, which is a package a new package management um, service. Um, looks pretty cool. And I w- asked him, hey, is there a way to query the information so that I could find stuff that didn't have dependencies? That The only dependency was PHP, maybe PHP, like a certain version, like 5.3. And he said, well, uh, no, but you shouldn't need to worry about that anyway. Well, and it, it kind of bugged me because I was, I was like, well, why? 
why are you telling me what I should worry about, not worry about? I don't, you know, let me figure it out myself. Um, but the reason I was asking that was because I wanted to find libraries that didn't have additional dependencies, that didn't introduce those. Because as they do, that means I'm bringing in more code into my code base that I have to worry about, that I have to support, that I have to maintain, that I have to make sure is okay. And so that's kind of, that's my job as a developer is to make sure that, that, that I know that that stuff is working and that stuff is safe, uh, you know, as much as possible. So I've got to do due diligence on that. So I have to worry about what the dependencies are and how big they are. I think if I'm not, I think that's not a great idea because sometimes those dependencies, I otherwise I'm just kind of trusting them blindly, and I don't I don't think that's a great idea. So now you have to weigh that. There are going to be times where the upsides you get from introducing a certain library gives you so much, say, productivity benefit or whatever, and so you say, hey, I'm prepared to take on that stuff because it gives me advantages in other areas. That's fine. So that's why I say I need to justify every piece of code I add to a project. That means that I've, I have to have a good reason for making this commitment to that, making this commitment to that piece of code and all the dependencies that go along with that code. I think I said this before. I'm not trying to pick on Zen Framework, and I, I'm a big fan of Frappy. Um, we use Frappy a lot at Fictivekin. It really great tool. It has saved us tons of time in building out our HTTP APIs. But the management stuff for it is all based on Zen Framework. And so what it means is that for not only for just their web UI, but their CLI tool too, it requires that when you download Frappy and you have that management stuff, it includes the entire Zen Framework 1 with it. And just in the fact that um, th that it, it literally doubled the size of our, our overall code base just from that. Like if you if you see okay this is how much code we just downloaded there, we, you know our GitHub repo doubled in size. So I mean even just stupid stuff like how long does it take to to search across our code base to find things? Maybe we're refactoring stuff. We got to find instances of stuff. Slows all our searches down because now we got to search six thousand files instead of three thousand. You know, let alone the stuff where it's like, well, is the version of Zen framework they're shipping necessarily? I mean, it's not coming from, it's not even coming from Zend. It's coming from a third party that's redistributing it. Do we necessarily know that's it? Now, I I have a lot of trust in the guys who do Frappy. I, they, they're pros, man. They know what they're doing. But that, I am, the, that was something I had to weigh because it introduced a ton of new code. For us, you know, we decided to stick with it, but it was not necessarily an, an obvious slam dunk because it 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 really increased um, uh, in in many ways this, the amount of just crap we had to worry about with that with that, and so that that was kind of hard. And I guess what frustrated me is I could see that I understand why you know they might have taken that that tool and and look, Frappy is free. It's not like you know nobody they, it, they weren't getting paid for working on this so I can bitch about all I want but clearly you could have written those things with other tools that would not have incurred the same amount of like you know co code base you know increase um, especially the CLI stuff because the CLI stuff is just actually calling Zen framework stuff from the CLI um, and it's just it's generating out you know XML files for the config so if you know how the stuff works together you could write that in much less code and um, and then I would have a lot less code to worry about.
Um, so that's the thing where I get into, you know, talking about loading in more code and, and worrying about dependencies. I really feel like that's a thing you need to think about. It's justifying your piece of code. And then the final point, the final major point, is why I said I like simple, readable code. I want to want to write code that is easily understood, and I want to write code that is easily verifiable. And I think those things go together because I think it's better and easier um, to understand what's going on if you can read your code and it's formatted nicely and it has a you know appropriate amounts of white space and stuff like that. It's a big reason I haven't been a big fan of the ternary operator because I don't. I think it's kind of obtuse and non-obvious about how. Oh, it, dude, how it works. I love the ternary. Right, right, love it. It love might it. be one of those things that I I've started to use a little more and I'm kind of a little more comfortable with it, but I still think it is not. I don't like that it, it's not explicit enough for me about like what's going on, right? But a lot of that's just preference, right? But I think generally it's, you want to be able to write code that somebody else can read who's not necessarily familiar with your code base and can figure out what's going on. I don't like code that introduces a bunch of sort of non-obvious nomenclature or things like that. Um, and to go along with that, I think you break down stuff into simple, easy-to-understand, straightforward chunks. It's easier to verify that. It's easier to verify it visually, and it's easier to write... Um, automated tests against it. And so I feel that for me, that's why I really want to emphasize that. Now, what's simple for me and readable for me, it's going to, it's, it could be different for somebody else and it, their brain may work differently. It's like, it's like, okay, I use this metaphor in the blog post I wrote about this metaphor between Neil Peart of Rush and Greg Ginn, who's a guitarist for Black Flag. And, Neither of them are inherently better than one. They're just different. They're different in their approaches, right? And it doesn't mean that one of them is better. It doesn't mean that they, you know, because this one guy has a drum kit with like 30 pieces in it and this other guy just has a guitar and one guitar and just bashes that out, you know, that doesn't mean that one is, is uh, invalidates the other because it's a better approach or whatnot. It's just a different approach. For me, and for the way that my brain works, and the way that I like to write things, I like to write things like that. I li- I, so I said, I don't want to be Neil Peart. I want to be Greg Ginn. I want to write straightforward stuff that's cool and easy to understand and gets people excited about coding. That's what I want to do. That doesn't mean that there's not value and, uh, and it, it's not admirable and it's not important and useful and uh, enjoyable for people to take a different approach where maybe they write stuff that maybe you would say is more intricate. Um, That's just not what I want to do. So I wrote this thing out, and as from that perspective, I said repeatedly in it that this is how I feel, my approach, me, I, and I really tried very hard not to say, you should do this, because I think that you should figure out what the hell you do well and you like yourself. You shouldn't listen to some schmuck with a blog. And based on the reactions to this on Hacker News and Reddit, yeah. uh, people missed the point. I really think they did miss the point. And yeah. uh, I saw some very kind of non-flattering things written about you <laughs> by people who really have no idea who you are yep. or where you're coming from. So, yep. so 
I like the manifesto because I think it really did distill down what is a a serious issue in any kind of programming language. Oh yeah, I don't I don't where, think where, this, where yeah. you've had a rise of frameworks and programming paradigms that sit on top of the language itself. So yeah. I so I wanted to talk about my thoughts on the manifesto. Yeah, I, I'd love to and hear. And so it. and so I think I think you've exposed something that's kind of an uncomfortable truth. I think really that you talk about how for fictive kin's needs that what ended up working out better from a conceptual standpoint for you guys was that we want to go with simpler solutions to problems. And that's cool. And I think that simpler solutions almost always are worth it. But uh, an issue that I have with with the manifesto with respect to what you do at Fictive Kin is that I think that what you guys have done have moved a lot of the complexity out of PHP. So whereas PHP becomes a simple solution, you know, you now have what is a complex solution on the client side? Backbone is not mm-hmm. simple. No, backbone is backbone is complicated. Right. So you've moved you've moved complexity out of one area of your application and into a different area. So if you're confident with JavaScript, that's cool. I like Backbone. I think what Backbone is doing is really neat. I also like Knockout, which is doing a similar yeah, I, type I wrote, of thing. I wrote some stuff in Knockout for an old job that all got tossed out, but uh, it, I liked it too. Yeah. yeah. Right. So you're what you're really talking about is is inevitably I think you're you move complexity around. So you've made the decision yes. to say that we 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 want the the PHP side of things to be less complex and we've chosen to either retain the existing level of complexity within JavaScript, because I don't know what you guys had before, but now you're saying, okay, we for reasons that we don't want to duplicate work, we've cho- we've made a choice and we've said that we want the complexity to be client side, mainly for and for a good reason that most modern browsers can handle that level of complexity. Now, the JavaScript engines that are built into all the major browsers now can do some pretty can do some pretty complex stuff, and and I think that's cool. I think that's really that's a trend that you're going to see anyway. More and more yeah. client side stuff being done within the browser, well, simply because the browsers can finally do things that are complex. And I guess I'd I'd argue that. The browsers can finally do it, so we can stop doing it in a way that I think was the wrong way to do it. Oh, I don't. You're I don't, right. I, mean, I don't I, agree it, with you, Ed. I, I yeah. agree that if you can move the, con- you don't want to have duplicate complexity. I think is really uh, a thing that I strongly believe in. Right. Pick, right. Pick a spot where things need to be complex, and then be consistent and say that we have made the decision that our complexity is going to be client side and not mm-hmm. server side. Yeah, we definitely we we did that um and I I what we're finding I think is that it fits a lot better. I think to do the kind of rich applications that we're talking about, the rich interfaces we're talking about. Um you if you try to do it on uh, try to do too much on the server side, it becomes all these like it really turns into a mishmash where you're like generating half of the code like to set yourself up and you're doing stupid stuff like having PHP generate big blobs of JavaScript code and junk like that or like intermingling JavaScript and PHP and like conditionally including lines of of JavaScript based on PHP crap and stuff like that and that stuff that 
you're you're going down a deep dark hole there, my friend, and you do not want to go down there because you're never going to come back. And all you're going to want to do after that is just burn your whole fucking code base down. <laughs> so, so I wanted to talk a bit from, from my experiences on using full stack frameworks, right? Uh, not just on not just on a side project, but in an actual working. Chris is getting checks that don't bounce uh, sense. Right. In my mind, and this is going to sound elitist, and it probably is. <laughs> full, full stack frameworks are for inexperienced developers. Those who don't, and maybe not inexperienced, but less confident developers. Okay. If you want the prom, the promise that gets spoken with a more full stack or component driven framework is that someone else has already written stuff that you're going to need to build your web application. So, so you have to have a really, and you brought this up and I suspect this is actually because you have trust issues and weren't hugged, hugged enough as a kid or something. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But that you have to have, when you choose to use a framework that has a lot of components, you are trusting that the people who have built the components know what the fuck that they're doing. And sometimes they do. But sometimes they don't. And sometimes their ideas on what's necessary and required differ for personal reasons because they may have written a component to solve a particular problem or set of problems that they had. And as a result, it reflects their own views on things. Sure. So, so number one is the trust issue. You can use a big – you can use a, a framework that's beyond the micro framework level if you are willing to trust that other, that other people have – done the work correctly okay mm -hmm. so my experiences have been building i've built stuff for money with code igniter mm -hmm. with cake with zen framework and now with symphony uh, uh a hacked up version of symphony one and a hacked up version of um zen framework that includes doctrine and there's doctrine with the symphony stuff and doctrine being used with zen framework right. and you know what it's a big fucking mess and it's a big fucking mess mm -hmm. because people have decided not only are we going to use a framework and import all these components, we're also going to override the existing shit because for whatever reason, someone decided that what the framework provided just wasn't good enough. So we've taken something and we've extended it even further. Okay. And it's made, there's cognitive dissonance going on. I look at parts of the application, I'm like, this makes no fucking goddamn sense. And even how they've chosen to implement certain things, like there's no, there's no sense to do it that way. And you've done it because either you love design patterns or, as is the case sometimes, where you have somebody whose first language – I know, God, I sound so elitist – where your first language is in PHP, so you've imported concepts from other languages and yeah. tried to map them into PHP, well, and do they just, they just don't work, okay? Well, I, I do that the, the other way, too. So, I mean, yeah, right. I, sure. I think, uh, I think course, that's when a natural when thing. I, when I write Python code, I'm positive that an experienced – Python guy looks and goes, yeah, that's a that's a PHP guy trying to write oh, Python. Fucking idiot. Yeah, right. So yeah, well, well, hey, I don't mind if people call me an idiot. That's okay. So, <laughs> oh, but here's the but here's the reason that really that frameworks have have uh, gotten such a a big boost. Okay, mm -hmm. and and maybe you're aware of this, Ed, but maybe you're not. But I'm going to go into it anyway. No, frameworks provide a common ground for conversation. So that's the main reason to choose a framework. This is why people identify themselves as Zen framework developers, mm -hmm. Symphony two. Uh, developers, Lithium developers, Cake PHP developers. Mm -hmm. They they end up being a domain specific language that sits on top of PHP. Mm -hmm. I mean that's how Rails got its act together was being a a, a DSL that sits on top of Ruby. So yeah. the reason people pick these frameworks is now they have common grounds for discussing things. And and I understand that people get afraid of a, of taking a big, large problem. Like, look, even if I wanted to do this at Moontoast, if I had my way, we would be we would be rewriting certain parts of our stuff 
right this fucking second mm -hmm. because it's like we have this huge overhead of all these other concepts that we're dragging along with us. And now that we've built this thing, yeah. we could tear it down and build it again right. and build it smaller and build it smarter. And we already know the mistakes, the mistakes that we made before mm -hmm. they've been fixed and they're commented in the code about why they've been fixed. So we could very easily extract that stuff out. Right. So, th so this brings me around to this other idea that if you want to go the, go with the micro PHP route and say, I want to have as small a code base as possible, you need and the elitist things coming up again. You need fucking smart people who know what they're doing because the code is only as good as your worst developer. And if your worst developer has a hard time understanding the programming concepts themselves, you're going to have to use a framework. You're going to have yeah. to use one because I mean, look, yeah. the fictive kin folk. You're a bunch of smart motherfuckers, and that and that's that's I. Well, yeah, everything that uh, you've it, done, everything that you've done points at. That the that the worst developer there is really talented. Okay? Well, that's definitely so, me, and they're all smarter than I. Yeah, am, don't so, don't yeah. sell <laughs> yourself. Yeah, don't sell yourself short, Ed. So so that's the thing that I see that you guys are able to do this concept of we can we are comfortable splitting off complexity and saying the client's going to do a bunch of stuff for us and we don't need the server side to do it anymore. Other places are not going to be able to do that right. and so w what happens to that when you start going with a custom solution uh, a micro framework and then you're adding your own stuff on top of it think about the poor schmuck who comes after you Ed, or who gets ramped up and added to fictive kin mm -hmm. how hard is it going to be for them to understand your custom solution if you had chosen let's say zen framework or symphony 2 it might be and i emphasize the word might in big uh big capital letters with air quotes around it. It yeah. might be easier for them to figure out what's going on if you're using an established framework with a bunch of established conventions. And right. you, you understand what I'm getting at? No, I, mean, I, 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 get, I do. I, I think that it's, it's funny because I, you know, I, when I worked at, I used to work at Purdue University. I worked there for about nine years. And I would sometimes get folks talking to me about things like, um, like that, like there were a couple different projects that people had were working on. Like you talk to some department, or we were in kind of a weird place because we were uh, it was an information security research center, and we kind of would half and half. Con I would actually not necessarily on information security all the time, but I would kind of consult sometimes where they'd kind of loan me out for a little bit of time to some other department or some other group on campus. And I'd basically sort of consult with them on some stuff and say, well, I think this is the approach you ought to take, or I might do a code review for them, or I might, you know, some kind of audit or things like that, or just help people with their projects too, right? And a lot of times what you have getting built in those cases are you'll have students come in and the students build some kind of web application. Um, so these are college kids. Now, these guys might work on this anywhere from like three months to a year. If they're lucky, they might have a guy around for two years in a row. But most of the time, they don't. They rarely do. Two, one of two things happens. One, you get the giant mishmash code base where you get one guy, he does some stuff and leaves. And another guy comes on, kind of hacks around with it, adds junk onto it. But he has his own sort of, you know, take on it. 
they the student the student doesn't really have that much investment in it. They're not going to be around there forever, and there's really no consistency in terms of like any kind of approach. And you know as well as I do that PHP is because it's super easy to do stuff simply and just like you know embed a little PHP inside your HTML or whatever, which was what it was originally designed to do. Um, you end up with lots of bad ideas, like you know putting in database connections inside of, you know, in, in the head of your, at the top of your HTML file or shit. Like oh that, yeah. We've right? all, we've all, I, I wrote code like yep. that all the time. Right. Okay. So that's fine. Yep. Okay. And I was very much of the opinion. And I, I think I still would be where I would say you guys know what you ought to probably do is, is take some kind of framework like code igniter or, you know, shit, Rails, I don't care if it was PHP or not, but I would probably take a full-stack framework because you're going to be able to go in and say, hey, we wrote this in Framework X, and it's a well-known framework that has a lot of training materials and stuff, and here's a book on it, and read this book before you touch this goddamn code base, motherfucker. And even if this kid's only going to be here three months, it's a lot less likely he's going to fuck it up because he's actually has to follow these conventions that the framework sets down. Um, so... In that case, in that circumstance, I think that the there's a, a you have a whole ton of upside you get because it's really really important for you to invest that intellectual consistency because you have so little consistency in terms of personnel. Um, there's so much turnover that you really kind of have to enforce that. So in that kind of case, I think it really really makes sense for you to do that. Pick something that's popular yeah, I, and yeah, and that, trainable. That's kinda, yeah, that's kind of what I was trying right, to get at. That right. That you may have scenarios where the framework is actually what saves your code base from getting completely nasty. I can if you're in a situation that. with with uh, you got lots of turnover, it's a student project. Even if it's uh, an open source project that's built using a framework, having those having some sanity that can be wrapped around the problem domain. Uh, works, but I really think that. And here's the thing that I wanted to expand on: mm -hmm. is that I really think that the approach that you want to use, small frameworks, simple codes, goes back to the idea that in almost every single case, and I could make the case for this at Moon Toast as as well, that they missed the boat mm -hmm. on this was that a small focused team can build a focused application to solve the problem that you're trying to solve mm -hmm. without an without a huge reliance on a framework. And I, I, I really I don't like the idea of rolling your own framework anymore. I think there's enough stuff out there that you can take the base of something and just say, you know what, I, I need something that will handle routing and templating and allow me to easily include third-party components. Right. And I'm totally cool with that now. I, I, I right. used to be a big believer that full stack is good because it provides conventions and consistency. Yeah. But it seems like every, full, every framework expands until it's a full stack one. Without, yeah. without a complete dedication to say, nope, this is all we're going to do. Look at Slim, yeah. right? I think Slim is a good idea. And I look at it and go, they've set themselves up deliberately to say, you know what? This is all that we're doing. This is all that we're going to do. Right. And they may expand to say, here's how you – and here's some more plugins. Yeah. But really, I think 
all those micro frameworks have put their put a line in the sand and said, dude, this is all we're going to do. And then everything else, Zen Framework 2, Symphony 2 is saying, oh, no, 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 man, we know what we're doing. We're going to add components. And then inevitably what happens is that components end up having dependencies on other components. And then you're back to the exact thing that you were complaining about an hour ago when we were talking right. about. Right. That, that I mean, you now, yeah. you now have these humongous dependencies and large amounts of code that are now being included. If not included in your project, they're installed somewhere where your application can use them. Because I'm a big believer in that your own that you should be only having your own code in the repository right. and third party libraries. Stash them somewhere on your system where they're not in the web root, but your application can find them. So you can manage those dependencies a little bit easier. Right. But you end up with the same problem of you may need to search through third-party stuff. And by third-party, I want to be clear, I always define third-party stuff as being stuff that you did not write yourself. So if you're right. doing a Zen Framework app, anything that you didn't write yourself is a third-party contribution. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I really think, and this goes back to something we talked about earlier, where I made the joke about the elder, of, of how the elders of PHP build web applications. And uh, I'd like to talk about that if 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 you're if you're done talking about the manifesto if, there, if there's some other stuff you want to talk about uh, we can go into it but I wanted to talk a bit to, a bit about what I call the elders of of PHP and how they tend to build things. Yeah, I, I'd like to as well. I mean, I I think I think that kind of sums up what it, you know where it is. I think that I think what you say makes a lot of sense. And the and the you know I'm the, I think everyone's influenced by the groups that the that the work that they've done. And the experiences they've gone through on the team that they work with. And so this is what's working, I think, for me and for my team. And I, I, I think there's other people like me out there. Now, I hope that it isn't the case where people are like, oh, fuck all these frameworks, and then start writing really horrible, shitty code again. This is not quite what I meant. But, um, but yeah. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> that's that's all I got. So, um yeah, I mean it, it's it's well, you know what we were kind of talking about before, we talk about elders of PHP and, you know, is uh I got sort of a nice thing. You know, th this has been an interesting couple of days since I wrote this post. I normally get about 200, you know, unique visitors to my website or my, you know, my blog and I got um in the past two days, I got like seventeen or eighteen thousand, right? So it got picked up. By, you know, the post I wrote got picked up in a couple places, and apparently uh, got people, you know, angry or whatever. You know, it's fine, okay. But um, uh, you know, I and it's it's stressful. I'm not a guy who I, I there's I have a problem in that I am somewhat principled, somewhat. But I also don't really enjoy conflict. Like, it bothers me. I don't like, you know, uh, and I tend to take things personally. And so I can't, I really have always had to work on that my whole life. And so I get really stressed out by this kind of shit, right? So if it, it bothers me if somebody's like, you're a fucking idiot. That really bothers me if somebody says that. Whereas, you know, there are other people who thankfully are maybe a little more sane than I am and are blessed by you know, being able to let that roll off of him and say, that's just some jack off on the internet who, why do I give a shit what he says? Yeah, um, yeah, you, know. you know, and this also too, because uh, Rasmus Lerdorf himself came out in support of you on Twitter, which I thought was an awesome yeah, thing. Yeah, I mean, he didn't and, say like, oh, your manifesto is great, but he said, he said some nice words where he basically, I felt was empathetic towards what it's like. 
you know. Yeah, because he said the old to condense it down, haters going to hate, and that those who don't contribute uh, are the ones that um, complain the most about stuff. So yeah, it's that yeah. it's it's almost like the it's an inverse thing. The the less that they give back, the more that they're going to complain about that particular tool, language, or or whatever. And and. So if we talk about what I jokingly refer to as the elders of PHP, all of them hate frameworks. They hate them all. And, and, the, re- and the reason they hate frameworks is because they don't need frameworks in order to solve, to solve the problems that they solve. They don't need them. So they're not, they're not invested in being – their ego is not invested in, in supporting a framework because really there is a lot of ego involved when you start up one of these – uh, projects when you work on a framework there's yeah. ego because you're like i'm contributing i'm giving back but you look at you look at all the all the all the elder statesmen and stateswomen uh you know of php yes. mm-hmm. they all they don't just dislike them they despise frameworks they view them as unnecessary because they have learned enough about php on how to solve these problems without frameworks so i talked about this before and i can get into this and i'll be correct and i'm willing to be corrected if someone says this wrong the it seems that when you look at how rasmus lairdorf himself likes to build web applications he build he builds single purpose applications he uh, slaps code together to solve a particular problem. I loved his no framework framework post that he did years ago. And I kind of looked at that when I was creating the sample application for my book, that it's a framework, but it's not a framework in all capitals. It uses some framework principles, but it's not actually built using a framework. And if you look at how Yahoo did things as well, it's the Rasmus Lairdorf way. You have PHP is used as a glue. I, I, I talked about this before. It's kind of like stucco. And you're just kind of spreading it thinly over everything in order to get them all to talk to each other. Yahoo was heavily invested in C++ middleware. And so they would say all the hard shit we're going to write in stuff that's not PHP. And then PHP is going to talk to this middleware and the middleware is going to give them back the information that we need in order to display something. And that is one way of building an application. Sadly, I think it's a early to mid nineties way of building things because Mm -hmm. really you don't have, you don't have a very large percentage of web developers who could write some C++ code and create a middleware? Who, who out there could do it? I could. I certainly couldn't yeah, do I, it. No. So, so since I can't do it, I'm never. It's never, ever, ever going to occur to me to try to solve a problem that way. So you try to solve a problem using the tools that you know, and sometimes those solutions are good, and sometimes those solutions are bad. And so I really think that that if you want to solve a problem and you really want to solve it the best way possible, you really are looking at a solution that is tailored to the problem that you're trying to solve. And really, full-stack frameworks don't fit. They're, they have no motherfucking place in doing that. No place at all. I, I, I mean, I, I look at the problem of Gimme Bar, and Gimme Bar is awesome. And I use Gimme Bar all the time. Though I have some issues on, I still find it difficult to search for things that I stashed before. There's still issues with that. And when I've asked, I've gotten shrugs a few times, basically told, well, the, well don't do that. And I'm like, because I like Ed, I'm not going to complain about that too That's much. That's because we don't like you. Nah, it could be that they see who no, I am. Actually, it's like, probably ah. because we do know you. We know you, so it's like, uh, you know, just don't. No, what are you going to do? But don't, no, yeah, no don't, actually, don't I agree. Don't uh, it's, Chris, right? it's, it's, it's harder to, to, but to I don't do that. Think like, you, I don't think you could have built Gimme Bar using a general purpose framework. It's just not going to work. You're, 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 you are doing things that don't fit 
into the paradigm of a full stack framework. I even look at Moon Toast. Moon Toast, we're using a general purpose framework, but that I don't see I don't see it lasting for too much longer with a general purpose framework, especially if we want to get into the mobile space and offering tools for our clients to allow people to buy shit uh, using uh, using your phone. The general purpose stuff is just not going to work. It's not going to work. We really need to do. I I know you love hearing me say this. We need to do things the way that Gimme Bar is doing it. We need to have an exactly. API that gives back all the info that we need, and then everything else that we write consumes the API. Uh, there's no other way to do that now, especially with, with – I know people are sick of hearing this, that mobile is huge. I look at my Jesus phone. I love my iPhone. I've had it for like not even a month, and I found I keep using the iPhone in situations where I used to lug my laptop upstairs, where I sit and hang out with the wife and talk about shit. I use my phone. But if you're going to use the phone and if more and more people are going to be like me – that where they want to use a mob a small uh, mobile device to do stuff, you can't use full stack frameworks anymore. It's right. not going to work. It's yeah. not going to work. Yeah. It's, so what? It, yeah, I'm going to say it again. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. It's you know for us, um, and for the projects we're doing now, you know that has this this really much thinner sort of middleware that's you know Apache PHP. Um, that stuff is really just some support glue for the browser client and then you've got other clients that are like you know native ios apps or other things that third parties are writing on that and that's i don't think that architecture is changing i i don't think that i don't think we're going to see less of that um how those clients get built i think you know some people are doing you know, mobile web, and some people are doing native applications. Some people are doing combinations of the both. That's you know fine. You know, there's going to be other kinds of things, but I think that I I don't think we're going to go back to the uh, situation where you push everybody through a uh, you know essentially a static generated H you know HTML site that's designed for desktops. That's I, I that's not that's just going to get less and less common. And more and more, the way that people work, the way that people interact with these things is not going to be on a desktop. Um, and it's not going to be on a laptop. They're going to be using other kinds of devices. Um, that, And some, a lot of the interface paradigms that you expect in desktop browsers don't work. We run into that with Gimme Bar because Gimme Bar is built as a desktop tool, right? To capture stuff and things like that. It's built as a desktop tool. It is really hard to capture stuff in in mobile uh, for different reasons, uh, for um, you know API lockdown reasons and other things. So you can't, you know, um, so it's it's not going to change. So I, so that that's you know that's definitely the case. One of the things that I find is like I if I see stuff like I see a, a something like a I've had a number of people come to me the past couple of days and say, hey, you should check out framework xyz and that framework uh maybe is does that qualify as a as a um as a uh you know micro framework or not or what have you and usually i <laughs> my rule is like does it have an orm or data mapper in it or does it have <laughs> a uh does it have like a complex you know a view renderer or does it do emails does it have come with email components and chunk like that and i'm like well then it's not <laughs> right because i, I think uh, i yeah i think you can say for micro frameworks if you have to ask it's not 
Right. Like I saw one that it says this is a you know micro framework, and then it's like it talks about it. it's like it's the only framework with three different ORMs, and I'm like, what? <laughs> but, what? <laughs> you know, I, I'm it, like, yeah, okay, yeah. No, okay, I, fine. I, you know, yeah, I, hear, yeah. I guess I you, you know, yeah. nomenclature is nomenclature. I don't know. It, it finds some other definition. I don't give a crap, but that's that's fine. But for my purposes, I just don't really care about any of that stuff, right? And and it's definitely the case. I haven't written a standard like, um, uh, application that that uses all aspects of like an MVC thing fully. Like it's got a real model, you know, that's attached to controllers, that's attached to views and it's rendering html on stuff like that. i haven't written one of those like a real one for like real production work in like three or four years I, I i just don't you know we're not i'm not doing work like that anymore so that's obviously influencing my stuff so i'm i'm looking at these things like why do i need all that shit yeah you know? and you know you're right i mean if you don't write apps like that then a lot of this stuff is going to uh going to appear to be um redundant and and not required so i mean well, you, you were talking. Uh, did you have more comps? I, I kind of got a base on this idea, you know. The, yeah, no, no, the... I, it, it's it's okay. I mean, the, the hey, I tell you, Ed, the rambling stuff is the people uh, people who listen to podcasts love to hear us uh, ramble and go off onto tangents. So uh, to to to, co- to kind of come back to the to the the manifesto in itself, I think the manifesto serves as a reminder that there are multiple ways to do things, and that, and I think that this is the thing that people. I think forget that the only real way to understand how to build things is through experience, having built these things. And I think if you ignore, if you ignore what other people have said, then I think you're doing yourself a disservice. Because, like I said, if we want to look at, if we want to look at what I would think would be an ideal architecture for what Moontoast has done, where we have, we're doing e-commerce, so we have a lot of stuff that has to look good and has to work. Uh, work work good work well uh, at the same time so we have parts of it that I could see yeah we have an admin system you could build that out with a with a with a full stack framework because it's it's crud meaning that create uh, rename update and and delete right yeah that you're editing this stuff so from for to build an admin system absolutely using a full stack framework makes sense because you can build an admin system quickly but the stuff in behind when we when we start using stuff that powers um powers for example we have a flash component we have an html javascript uh buy buttons we have a cool thing that we've just done where you we will provide a, a complete store inside a banner ad and you click on it and the banner ad turns into the store and you can buy shit right then and there on the spot nice. and it'll pop up the and it'll pop up the window to get you to talk to paypal and all that other awesome stuff so that stuff, all the stuff that where we're building APIs and the and a Flash component widget is going to talk to our API, that stuff unfortunately built using a general purpose framework, and I think that's a mistake. And right. I think that's a and that's a mistake that we made for convenience sake because the idea was wow we have to build this thing. And then when I look at how long it took us to build it, I'm like I am a hundred and ten percent confident saying that we could have done this using something like slim or using frappy or something like that where you you paint yourselves into corners with technology choices choices to use orms choices to use certain other tools and you end up with where you can't where 
fixing it requires major effort. And I don't want to slag on the people who came before me at Moon Toast too much because they made decisions. They had to make decisions. And were some of those decisions wrong? Probably. Are they recoverable? Yes. It's still not too late. It's never too late to go back and fix something right. and make the commitment to say that there is a simpler way to accomplish this particular set of functionality. It just requires um, balls of steel to say, okay, let's go Definitely. back and rewrite this while we're supporting the existing application at the same time. It's hard because you don't want to go down that road because, I mean, the thing you have to balance is that not invented here or I didn't write this, so we should rewrite it like tendency that I think all developers have. I know I do and I have to catch myself from doing it, you know, where it's like I don't really get how this is done or this isn't really the way exactly my brain would have constructed this, so it's terrible, destroy it. Um but I uh, I think there's also something to be said for that idea that sometimes you build something, and I've heard some people say sometimes you build something with the idea that you're going to toss one of these out. Like the first one, you should be prepared to throw that away. Um, hopefully you don't get too far down that first one before you throw it away. Cause you know, it gets more and more painful the more you do that. But, um, yeah, I think sometimes, sometimes it's you, especially if you haven't built something like it before, there's a lot of stuff that you're going to figure out on the way that the next time you're going to be able to do it, you're going to do it a lot faster and more efficiently. Um, so there's something to be said for that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure our pro, uh, the uh, Uber project manager at work and also Marcus Whitney won't be happy to hear me say stuff like, yeah, we need to throw this out and build it again because we can do it better and in a way that now that we've solved the problem once, we can say, okay, now we know how to solve the problem and now we know that it also needs to be able to be extended into certain directions. So Right, but yeah, I think, I think you always, uh, the key thing, uh, you know, I would hope that, and maybe I don't talk about this, you know, as much as I would like to, but the key thing for me for all this stuff when you're doing your work as developer is just, you know, think critically about this stuff and weigh pluses and minuses. Try to get the information that is, you know, that you can and and make decisions based on that and, you know, make it on educated, <laughs> you know, make it on real information, not what some schmuck on a blog says. You know, don't do it just because, you know, it, you know, I think people like with this, you know, blog post I made, people think that I'm like necessarily strongly advocating one approach or another. I'm just saying what works for me. And I think there's other people that might benefit for them. And I, I think that there's been kind of a tense, like I did talk about that. There's sort of a zeitgeist thing where there's sort of an expectation this is the direction you have to go. I wanted to talk about it because I felt like this is how I felt. And I don't think I'm alone in this. And I think there's other people, so I kind of threw this out there, and it's I've gotten honestly most of the feedback I've gotten is positive. I don't go into like Reddit and shit to read that because I'm sure a bunch of people are gonna be douches about it, but most of it has been positive, and a lot of yeah, people and come back. I, and I agree. Said that. I agree with you. Most of the on Twitter, the feedback has been positive. Yeah. On places like Hacker News. Uh, half positive combined with a few trolls who don't know who you are right. and don't understand context. So I, I think, though, to get back to something I said earlier, yeah. um, that the problem, you know, you you try to make the decisions with the information that you have at the time. And I think what happens is that people, uh, yeah, I hate the tar. Well, actually, no, I don't. I don't. 
I don't dislike making generalizations because I think generalizations serve a purpose and they can go a long way towards identifying where you've gone off the where you've gone off the track and where you need to put more effort into. It's like you can't be afraid to admit that you've made a mistake and you can't be afraid to admit to say that this big thing that we've built and that we invested time and money isn't up to the task. And really I think that's where a lot of people um they get scared. They get scared that they've invested time in building an application and that the realization that maybe they've done the wrong thing, they don't want to admit that. And because it's an, it's a blow to the ego to say that I've spent a year building something, but what I've built is a piece of shit. And it's a piece of shit because of decisions that I made a year ago. And I think really you can never be afraid, shouldn't be afraid of saying we need to fix this and have the courage to say that we need to fix this and we need to change it. And this is just strictly from not dealing with PHP itself, but when you build anything with any set of tools, I think generally speaking, people lack courage. They really lack the courage to say that I've created a piece of shit and I know how to fix it. Please let me fix it. Please give me the time and resources to fix it. And I think that, I think that's a problem. It's a lot easier when you're in the early stages where where you're lucky that a fictive kin for gimme bar, you could say, you know what? We can toss a bunch of shit out and redo this because it's early enough in yeah. the whole life cycle of this application that we can go and change it. Who knows? Three, four years from now, you'll probably be locked. You'll be oh, locked yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and painted into a corner and you won't be able to go back. To, to t- go off on a tangent, people all the time say, well, why doesn't Facebook just get rid of PHP? Because, dude, they can't. They can't. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, too it, much has been too much has been done with PHP being an integral part of their application that you can't go back. You all you can do you can do what PHP what Facebook is doing with the right way and saying how can we make our use of PHP better? And that's how hip hop uh, PHP came about, and that's how this new they're doing a just in time compiler, which I think is awesome. You imagine the computer science knowledge that's poured into saying I'm going to create a just in time compiler for PHP. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah that's That is cool. absolutely awesome. Th- to say that 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 Facebook can say we can pour money into saying we want we are using PHP and we have chosen PHP and we can't get away from PHP, so let's make our use of PHP better. And really th- I think really that that's what you're advocating as well. If you're going to use PHP, use it better. Use it smarter. Don't just don't blindly use it. Don't blindly use components. Say, try and think about, say, if I want to use PHP, how is it that we're going to use it? And clearly, yes. God, you got, I've been sucking some massive fictive kin dick on this. Yeah, please, that you guys, You guys have made the decision to say that we know how we want to use PHP for our application. And at Moontoast, we're going to, at some point, have to make that same decision to say that we're, we're going to have to decide what it is we want to use PHP for. And then everything else, let's decide what we're going to use. Because like I said, we're using Flash, we're using JavaScript, and we're using PHP. And right now, I think the balance is too much on the PHP side. We really need to say a lot of the stuff that we're doing on PHP, we can do with JavaScript now right. or HTML5 and say, let's, let's make the client do a bunch of this work for us. Mm-hmm. But the spots where we need to use PHP heavily, let's make sure that we use PHP heavily. Yep. So I look at our clock. We're sitting at... Uh, an hour and 45 minutes that we've been rambling on here. So yeah. um, is there anything else you want to talk about? No. I, mean, I talked about before this that maybe there's some stuff that we can talk about on our next uh, Development Hell podcast. Um, yeah. But 
I mean, dude, I have to say, you put yourself out there with the manifesto, and dude, that is that it's honorable and it's awe-inspiring. Me, I'm I'm kind of the opposite of you. I don't mind talking about stuff, but I think I also have a pretty thick skin these days, where I can say, you know what, I'm going to say what I'm going to say, and if you disagree, dude, that's cool. And you're going to call me names and and bullshit on Hacker News and Reddit, dude. You know what? I don't care because you know why? I don't have to read that. I don't I don't feel compelled to go over to to Hacker News and and defend myself. Because you know what? I don't need to defend myself. I've said what I'm going to say, and you like it? Cool. If you don't, right. man, that's cool too. The main reason why – the only thing, the only time I would be I would get upset is that maybe if my coworkers went on Hacker News and started shit-talking me there, then I would yeah, have well, – Yeah, that's a little different. But, but I think at Muntos, they're scared of me, and they're not going to shit-talk openly about me anyway. So. They better not. They better not, because I can drive. Cause like, like I tell Ben, Nashville is only a two-hour plane flight away. So mm-hmm. be careful what you say to me. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, so yeah, so I think uh, I think we're just about done. I think we're yep. just about out of time for for uh, for this installment of Development Hell. Right on. Yeah, I'm emotionally exhausted, so it's a good time. <laughs> so again, very, thanks very much to all our listeners. There's no reason for us to talk to each other and argue about stuff if nobody else is going to be able to benefit from hearing us talk. Absolutely. So again, thanks for listening. Don't forget to go to the website, devhell.info. Um, we'll be doing show notes, talking links to pretty much everything that we talked about. And I also think uh, I'll probably be probably be adding some other stuff in that's related to what we talked about today to provoke some thought. So as always, I'm Chris Arches. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on my blog. Um, Over on the other side of of the world from me is Ed Finkler. Again, he's on Twitter. He blogs. So thanks very much for listening, and we will talk to you guys all soon. Say goodnight, Ed. Goodnight. Goodnight.